I'm bullish on Birmingham. Sam, thanks for doing the podcast, yeah. my man. I appreciate you coming on. Glad to be here. For people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. I'm Sam Niskern. The, the last name always throws people off because it's K-N-I-S. And so people all the time are like, is it Kuniskern? That's like, why I only introduced you by your first name, yes. honestly. All the time. I've got a, a good friend of mine, his brother. I mean, I've, I've known this guy for years and years and years. And his brother still calls me Sam Kuniskern. He insists that it's Kuniskern. And I've told him, I'm like, do you say knife? Yeah. And he's like, no. And I'm like, then it's Niskern. Exactly. Then it's Niskern. So I was born in South Florida, but we moved up here when I was really young, around like three years old. And then my parents settled over off of 119 right by uh, Asbury United Methodist right there. And they're still there to this day. So, so like, like the Indian Springs area? Is that where that is? It's it's just, uh, it's it's about a mile inside of 119 away from Greystone once mm. you get off of 280. I know what you mean towards Briarwood, uh, which that's, that's where I went. I went there K through 12. And then I've been bouncing around really since then. I didn't really put roots back down uh, after college in Birmingham until 2018. So I went to Auburn, War Eagle. War Eagle. And after Auburn, and, and really the whole time, so I, I ended up joining the, the Air National Guard in Montgomery when I was 17. I went there with my father, signed the papers and everything. And so after I graduated high school, I went off to training. I did intelligence with the F-16s down in Montgomery. And when I finished up with all that training, with the cool thing about the Guard is that really it's just, you, you're just part-time. So it's one weekend a month. It, you know, like the common joke is the weekend warrior. Yeah, yeah. So while I was at Auburn, I would do that. You know, I would one weekend a month, I would, I would go over to Montgomery and do that. And then luckily for me, um, we had an opening for an for a, uh, officer position in the intelligence shop, they offered it to me when I was about to graduate. So I went and commissioned and I kind of did the whole dance again. I went back out to Texas for basically another year for training and, and came back. And that was when I started getting back to Birmingham. Uh, I'd be here for a little bit. Then I'd have to go on, you know, a trip with them or I'd be here for a little bit. Then I'd have a, we had like a seven month deployment in 2014. Yeah. That's something I want to get more into later on in the podcast is uh, your work with the intelligence when we met at Adios the other night with Harrison and Chewy, we got on that subject a little bit. And then I had a million questions. You know, I was I was so fascinated. We had the most interesting conversation. That's one of the biggest reasons I want to have you on the podcast. But now I guess your your bread and butter is your piloting, right? Yeah. So one of the cool things about the military that not a lot of people realize is you you have um, a lot of times the ability to change change your your occupation within the military if there's a availability. So the intelligence section is uh, what's called a critically manned field. So typically you cannot get out of that field to go into something else. However, if you're going from one critically manned field into another critically manned field, then it's it's no big deal. Mm. And I had always wanted to fly. My my grandfather, growing up, he had a uh, he had a glider, and I would go with him up in the glider, and that was like when I was really young, and I can remember distinctly like those memories. And so that's what got me into to flying. So actually, when I went to Auburn originally, I picked Auburn over Alabama because of their flying program. So they have one of the oldest collegiate flying programs in the nation. However, when I got to Auburn, I was I was paying for school at first, and it was I think it was like an additional seventeen thousand a year on top of everything else. Mm. And one of my big goals for myself was I didn't want to graduate with a ton of student loan debt. Yeah, smart. So you know I was already in the military. I, that was kind of part of the plan. But when I got to Auburn and you know saw how much it was, I just was like, well, maybe this isn't for me. But when I was on that that seven year deployment in Afghanistan one of the cool things about working with intelligence and why I picked that career field is because you work hand in hand with the pilots all the time, whether it's, you know, briefing them on different, you know, threats that may be in the area or briefing them on, Hey, here's where you're going to go. And here's, you know, we've received some word that these bad guys may be here or whatever you're working with them all the time. So that's why I picked that job. So I got to be very close with these guys. I just want to let you know something about Discover Birmingham's partner, Dr. Chase Horton Real Estate. 
with eXp Realty. That's right, I'm talking about my business. Are you, or someone you know, considering buying or selling a home within the next six months? If so, let's chat. With their permission, simply send me their name and number and I'll reach out to talk about the best way to achieve their real estate goal. Whether they're a first-time home buyer or they're selling a home they've cherished for 30 years, I've got them covered. And here's the deal, guys. Did you know that there's a huge segment of the population who may not even find out about your listing? While some buyers with realtors may find out about your listing through the MLS or online searches, there's a huge local audience tuning into this very podcast right now. And when you list your home with Dr. Chase Real Estate, I'll showcase your listing on this show. That way, thousands of local listeners and potential buyers will discover your listing before anyone else. So once again, if you know of anyone who's thinking of buying or selling within the next six months or so, simply text HOME to 205-213-9720. That's HOME, H-O-M-E, to 205-213-9720. All right, now let's jump back into today's episode of the Discover Birmingham podcast and highlight the best parts of our awesome city. While we were over there in Afghanistan, I got to talking and I had, I had saved up a bunch of the like tax-free deployment money. And I was like, well, when I go home, I'm going to go to one of these pilot programs. It's called an ATP program. And it's basically a zero all the way to having your uh, commercial license. And that was going to be my route, but they're very expensive. It's, it's very cost prohibitive. Yeah. And one of the guys was like, well, why don't you just you know fly with the military? Why don't you fly with us? And after being, that was in 2014, so I'd already been in for eight years then, and I'd been around enough to know that, you know, these guys in Montgomery, they are like the fighter pilots, as you would imagine, they are extraordinarily intelligent individuals. And yeah. I'm, I'm not dumb, but I'm not that smart. <laughs> uh, and so I was like, you know, I'd, like, I'm not as smart as you guys, and the, also the lifestyle, it's, it's, a, it's a grind of a lifestyle. It's not really like you see you know, in Top Gun or whatever. Yeah, how so? Like, what makes it such a grind? So with the fighter community, the way that it has to be, and it makes sense when you get into the, the nuts and bolts of what they do, um, it, there's a lot of precision. So, for example, the, the typical guard day, work day, is 7 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. four days a week. And when I say that it is extremely meticulous in the fighter world, and again, this isn't bad, this is just how it has to be, is it is, you know, morning brief every morning is at 7.15 and everyone is butts in the seat ready to go and it is, all right, three, two, one, hack. It is 7.15, close the door, we're starting. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're late, then sorry. So it's not just all shirtless football on the beach? It is not. That's only on special occasions. <laughs> but uh, even so, even to the point of uh, when they're doing their briefs and whatnot, they have these separate briefing rooms. It's it's not uncommon, but they have whiteboards and they actually will have, it's like a little handle, like a ruler type thing. And they'll put that up on the whiteboard and then draw a line so that it's a perfectly straight line. And then they'll write out next to it like the date. And then they go down <laughs> perfectly straight line, the takeoff time. And that is how the briefing is done. It's not just like, yeah, I'll write this up on the board, whatever. No, it is very meticulous. And so that's the brief. The pre-brief is basically a a walk through of what they're going to do during the flight but it's very very in depth then after that you know they'll go fly and it's awesome i did get to go up a couple times in an f-16 in the back seat of the of the two-seater as they're doing you know all the the dog fighting and whatnot and it was amazing it's exhausting do you have to breathe a special way when you're doing that right yeah so actually that's called? called an agasm I'm dead serious. <laughs> it is the anti-G strain maneuver is what it is. And what you're doing is you're, you're flexing uh, basically your core muscles and really everything in your body. And you're trying to, the, the way they'll teach you in pilot training is you imagine like it's a K. So it's a K, 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 K. Yep. And you're, and you're holding that in. And what you're trying to do is, is the blood will try to rush from your extremities to your vital organs. It's basically like your body trying to survive. Mm -hmm. Well, if you don't do that, and there's there's also the G suit that you see, that that kind of like thing that comes up to right here on top of the flight suit, that plugs into the air system basically in the jet. And I, I don't know how it works, but as the onset of Gs occur, it pumps air into that G suit. 
and it expands. So it actually it squeezes you very, very tight on your legs, uh, mainly in your in your thighs, and then also in your torso. And that helps to kind of keep the blood, you know, from from all rushing to the middle. But what it is, and you hear uh, the the term is G lock, G loss of consciousness. Yeah, I've heard that. That's what it is. Is um, your optic nerve is very, very sensitive to blood pressure. So while you're trying to do that is keeping blood basically in your your cranium, because what happened to me when uh, when I was you know getting to experience the dog fighting, I wasn't doing it, but the other guy was. We hit 8.6 G's, like sustained 8.6 G's repeatedly. And as that blood goes, you start to your your vision starts to go down to a pinhole, and then you you black out. Really? So, so okay, eight point six G's. Compare that to what might be like on a roller coaster. If if I had to guess, I'd say roller coasters probably go to like maybe three. Okay, two two and a half. And some of three. them are really intense. So you're hitting, you're almost tripling that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what it is, and I don't know if it's like pounds per square inch or how it works, but basically, like right now, this is one G. Mm-hmm. You're feeling your weight of your body times one. It's so basically 8.6 is like 8.6 of yourself sitting on yourself. So it's, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. But these guys, you know, are, are trained to deal with that. But, you know, they'll go. So they'll go out. They'll go do this, which for me, I did. I'll never forget the first one that I did in his ACM. It's aggressive combat maneuvers. And it's basically one guy versus one guy. And they're doing the, the whole dog fighting thing, just like you see in the movies. It's, it's exactly like that. I mean, putting the hand on the glass, looking for the guy and everything. Really? And I'm just back there holding on for dear life. Yeah. We got back and like, you know, I, I, I do cardio, I run, I lift weights, whatever. I, I try to, I try to stay in shape. I was exhausted. I was absolutely beat. And the funny thing is the guy that I was with was a, a full bird colonel. He was like in his mid forties, you know, married with kids, full-time Delta pilot, he wasn't not in shape, but he definitely wasn't like, you know, oh, I'm 10% body fat. Like yeah. you, would, you would think you see like Tom Cruise or whatever. No, he's just like your average dude. And he's like, all right, well, you know, you look pretty beat. So go get some water. Uh, I got to go debrief and then I'm going to go fly again this afternoon. He's just built different. Yeah. They're just so used to it that it's, I'm like, oh my God, I'm dripping sweat. So fighter planes like F-15s are the ones that you refuel in the air, right? Correct. Yeah. So c- continuing on from what I did, I, you know, when I told our guys in Afghanistan that I, I you know, didn't really think the fighter route was the route for me. They were like, well, you're from Birmingham. Why don't you just go fly the tankers in Birmingham? Like they're really good guys. You know, they have a good time up there. They do really good work. It's a great wing. And in all the time of living in Birmingham, I had never known that there was the unit here at the airport. Yeah. I, I just never knew anything about it. The reason that I even went to the unit in Montgomery to begin with is because I knew I was going to go to Auburn and that was commutable. So what is the unit at Birmingham? What, what do y'all do? So it's the 117th Air Refueling Wing. Fantastic unit. Couldn't be happier to be there. And it was it, it was so funny because when I did go to meet those guys, at first I started talking to them when I was in Afghanistan about you know the pilot position, the pilot board that was coming up. I actually did a, a interview for it over the phone when I was in Afghanistan. And then when I came back, I you know they said, hey, like come up and hang out with us. You know, meet everybody and see if it seems like a good fit for you. So I came up and it's funny because I, I went from, you know, the whole like three, two, one hack of the fighter community. Very, very, you know, always go, go, go to the tanker community. And I walk in, they're like, yeah, like, do you want to play ping pong or whatever? Like, obviously you can't come up and fly with us, but sit in on a brief and yada, yada. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a different mentality. We still do the whole song and dance of going through and, and briefing, you know, the mission and all the details, the pertinent details of the mission. But it is not, you know, like draw the perfect line. And and you kind of can't because our crews are larger. So whereas with an F-16 crew, it'll have like you and me, maybe are a two ship and I'm going to brief you on everything that we're going to do if I'm the flight lead. But with the tanker community, you know, on a given day, we'll have six people on the jet. So it'll be like four pilots. And then the thing in the back that actually refuels is, is actually operated by somebody in the back. They're called a boom operator. So you'll have like four pilots and two boom operators or something like that. So the boom operator is the one who is great. So the 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 jet pulls up kind of like behind and under your plane. Uh-huh. And the boom operator, I guess, has a joystick or something where yeah. they're trying to kind of get it in the hole. They're trying to aim yeah. the boom. I bet he's really good at the game in the lobby of Walmart where you like lower it down and pick a bear. Yeah, yeah. You the know claw. what I mean? The claw. It's it's kind of cool. A lot of people are are surprised by that. And it makes sense because it, it's funny. People will ask and they'll be like, you know, I'm sure this is a dumb question. I'm like, no, 
I didn't know anything about it when, when I first got in, so it makes sense. But yeah, basically we, we meet up with a receiver aircraft at a predetermined uh, place, time, altitude, and airspeed. And those are going to vary based on mission needs, on what kind of a receiver it is, on where they're going, things like that. But we know, so like, you know, let's say for, for F-15s, the optimum air refueling speed for F-15s is X. So we know that whatever altitude we're meeting them at, whenever we meet up with them, we need to be at that speed. And then there's there's room for some, you know, there's a little bit of wiggle room for error, but it's it's pretty small. And, and that's what they expect. Like they expect to show up at X speed and us to be at X speed. So for way off, they're going to be like, you know, what are you guys doing? Yeah. You're like a flying gas station in a way. Mm-hmm. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. How long on average could a, say an F-15 fly on one tank of fuel? So it's going to, it's going to depend a lot on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're doing any sort of dogfighting, obviously they're going to be burning a lot more gas. If they're just doing um like a like a DCA defensive counter air, they're just kind of loitering and, and protecting an asset. They can stay up longer because they can set you know like a, a lower speed and kind of cruise at that speed. So it's going to depend on a lot of factors. You know they they may be going somewhere. We'll, we will frequently do what's called a coronet, which is where we are quote unquote dragging a, a group of receivers from one place to another. So for an example, if some F-16s or F-15s or or anybody needs to get across the ocean, they typically aren't going to have enough gas to do that. So we'll have a couple different tankers all together and we'll all fly along in one block of airspace all the way across the ocean. And as they need gas, they'll call us and say, hey, you know, we'll have a we'll, we'll have a, a predetermined at this point. We'll give off gas at this point. We'll give off gas. But as they go along, one, let's say there's four F-15s, uh, number three might call up and be like, hey, you know, I'd like I'd like five five thousand pounds of gas. Like, OK, come on up. So you and, measure it in pounds, not gallons. Mm-hmm, Interesting. Yep, yeah. So uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll offload whatever they need, and then we'll go from there. Now we don't have typically an unlimited amount of fuel, so there is there is like all right, hey, we're planning on offloading twenty thousand pounds here, thirty thousand here, twenty thousand here. So is that part of the flight plan? Mm-hmm, yeah. That must have to be pretty meticulous. Right? Yeah. So, and it, it, the cool thing is that on, on a lot of these, uh, so for the local missions, we do all the planning ourselves. So, uh, we have a group of, a group of, uh, air crews, so pilots and boom operators that work in what's called the current operations office. They're the ones that they'll say, all right, you know, here's where I've been told they're going to go. Here's how much they're going to offload. Uh, they're going to do an hour of practice approaches. All right. How much fuel will that be? And they determine it's this amount. And we actually have a software that will, you know, kind of gonculate all the numbers and say, yeah, based on the predicted winds and what they're going to be doing and all these other inputs, here's how much they will get back to Birmingham and land with. And we have a, we have a minimum amount that we want to get back with. So what about your plane? If it's able to make it across an ocean and give out fuel along the way, that must be able to fly for a very long time. Yeah. So, uh, so say that you're just cruising. Mm-hmm. If... There's there's like the theoretical, so kind of the, the ballpark number that we use is we burn about 10,000 pounds per hour, and we can hold 200,000 pounds. Hmm. So in theory, we could fly into, you know, the late teens before we would need to land, which, I mean, we, we've definitely had guys that have had 13, 14-hour flights before. Wow. Uh, it's kind of funny. We had a crew that uh, typically, whenever we're in the Middle East, will stop in Europe on the way home, because that's a super long flight. Yeah. They'll stop in Europe on the way home, spend the night, and then come home the next day. And uh, there was a crew, and that's what they were supposed to do. They were leaving Turkey. I guess the crew talked and got it approved with leadership, and they were like, well, you know, we have enough guys where we can rotate pilots out. Guys can go get sleep, and uh, we're just going to fly all the way home and arrive home a day early and surprise our spouses. I think it was like a a 13-and-a-half-hour flight. That's amazing. Yeah, it's quite a long time to be on a plane, especially flying a plane. So you fly big tankers like that, but you also fly some private, right? I, I do. Yeah. So I, um, a friend of mine approached me last year about a job opportunity to fly a Gulfstream for Floyd Mayweather. So I started doing that last August. It's been a blast. I actually just got home a couple of days ago from a, from a rotation with those guys. So when you're on a rotation, are you just flying all over the place or what, what does that look like? It is. Um, here in the States, it's really whatever our boss needs. So, you know, and is Floyd the boss? Mm-hmm, he's okay. our boss and it's where he's, you know, he, he, he owns the plane. 
so he can tell us to go somewhere and you know pick up some friends or something like that or, or maybe somebody that he has a meeting with but typically it's him and it's really just wherever he needs to go he's got you know he retired from boxing a phenomenal 50 no professional career but he still has a lot of a lot of businesses that that he runs so he has there's like mayweather boxing uh like a fitness kind of like a battle republic he has those all over the U.S. I mean, there's one in Nashville, so we flew him to Nashville because he went and did like a class there and met people there. And then, um, he, you know, he has various real estate interests and whatnot. And like anybody else who's retired, he's got recreational things he wants to do, basketball games and whatnot. So really whatever he needs, we try to make happen. So say he's he just wants to take a little vacation you get to end up in the same place as him. So yeah. you get to kind of spend some time and wherever it may be. Some, some cool locales. That's yeah. Pr- pretty good gig. It's, it's not bad. You know, he'll, he'll go stay at, at, you know, whatever his place is. And sometimes we stay there. Sometimes we stay somewhere else. We'll really just try to find uh, it, it's neat because we, we can kind of govern ourselves. So we'll kind of look at the pricing and be like, all right, what's a reasonable price. You know, we're not going to go stay at, you know, some crazy five-star resort every time we look at the prices and kind of like, all right, this is a reasonable price. We'll yeah. go here. This isn't too outrageous. But yeah, we've gone to some cool places. He really likes Dubai a lot. There's a lot of, I think, good business opportunities for him there. And then also he just, he likes Dubai. It's tough not to like Dubai. Yeah. It's a cool place. So, so we go there a lot. So when you go to Dubai, what do you do? It really kind of varies. I like to go out and explore, but uh, Dubai is not like New York or Boston or Miami where you can just walk out the door and kind of be like, I'm going to go over to Little Havana that's a couple blocks away and explore that. Dubai has a lot of skyscrapers, and it's just like blocks and blocks and blocks of skyscrapers, so you kind of have to go have stuff already planned in mind. But uh, like this last time, our our chief pilot, uh, AJ, awesome guy. He's been out there a bunch. He's been doing this for seven years, and he said uh, there's this park that you can go to, and it's uh, it's kind of like a dystopian future is the way that it's set up, like very Mad Max. Hmm. But they have um, they have paintball out there, and they have this super cool paintball course that's it's pretty symmetrical. But they have like the giant concrete like sewer drains. They've got a couple of those with like a berm built around it. They have an old like city bus with the windows blown out and whatnot. Awesome. They've got a couple like lookout tower type turrets or whatever. Do you like paintball? Oh, yeah. It was so much. Have you been out to Battlefield Park? Uh Uh-uh. It's out towards Talladega? Uh Uh-uh. Harrison and uh, a couple of my buddy Cody and I went out there one day. And what you can do is go out there and you can play paintball and they have a pretty nice course set up. But also you can drive a tank. No way. Yeah. You can drive a tank and they have this course and it has obstacles and everything you can roll over. You can pay an extra five hundred bucks, and you can crush a car with the tank. What we, kind of we didn't tank do it. is it? It's like an old World War II English tank. They have a few options, actually. That's wild. You can drive all kinds of stuff out there. They have a pink bulldozer. It'd be a good gag gift for <laughs> yeah. a buddy. You know, he's turning fifty. Like, oh yeah, you can get go drive go a pink drive bulldozer. Pink bulldozer. Yeah. <laughs> and they have just unique. They have like a motorcycle with a sidecar and stuff, just all kinds of That's fun cool. stuff. I've never heard of that. Yeah, so we went out you there and did that. that. Yeah, I'll have to. We had a, a great bro day. We went there, and then we drove our motorcycle straight over to an outdoor monster truck show. It was yeah, yeah. and the whole time we were wearing Let's Go Brandon t-shirts. It was a solid That's Alabama awesome. day. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to one of my buddies yesterday, Adam, who and he's from England, and he was. I was telling him that you were coming on the podcast, and I was like, "Look, if you have any interesting questions for him, let me know." And he was like, "No, but I have a story." He was in London, and um, he was in traffic, and it was just super backed up. There was something blocking the road. He was just trying to go to wherever he was going. He sees that there's a G wagon just sitting in the middle of the road, blocking all the lanes, and he's like, "What the heck?" So he just starts texting and just passing the time and like 15 minutes has gone by and this car is still just sitting there in the middle of the road. And uh, he gets out and he starts walking up to see what's why it's blocking the road. And as he approaches, Floyd Mayweather gets out of the back and just walks into a coffee shop and uh, just leaves the car parked <laughs> in the middle of the road blocking traffic. <laughs> yeah. Stay here. I'll yeah, come yeah. back for you. What what he wants, he gets. Yeah, and I'm sure. I mean, he's a legend. We, we did a, a really cool... We, we did a trip to Israel recently, um, started off in Tel Aviv for a couple of days, and then we went to Jerusalem, and it's it's really cool because he's, he's the nicest guy in the world. Like, he is so nice. 
like everybody that he works with, you know, he, he really takes care of. And I'll never forget like my first interaction with him. I, I came out to just kind of see how things were. And I, I just did a, a, like I was basically just riding in the jump seat with them as they did a flight from uh, Las Vegas to Van Nuys over in Southern California. And Chris, one of the other pilots has a, uh, has a young daughter named Ari. And I guess on the last shift, maybe she was sick. So Chris had to go home a day early or something like that. And so when, you know, I'm sitting on the jet and champ gets on the jet and he's saying, Hey to everybody. And he stops at the front of the plane and turns and he was like, Hey, Chris, last time you were on shift, you, you had to go home. Uh, cause Ari was sick. He was like, is she doing okay? And the fact that you have like the greatest boxer of all time, you know, sports legend, and he remembers that one of his employees' daughter was sick a week ago and has the the wherewithal to be like, oh, yeah, is your daughter doing okay now? I was like, okay, that's pretty next level. You love to hear that, man, because, yeah. you know, some celebrities are known for being kind of jerks. So whenever you hear about one who's just really kind of down to earth, at least in real life, mm-hmm. and not necessarily just the character that they may be playing mm-hmm. to uh, promote a fight, that's really, that's really cool to hear. Well, and uh, so like part part of our job is to make sure, you know, they've got drinks and, you know, the drinks are on ice or, or not on ice. So they don't want them. They have coffee, everything else. And so the when, whenever we stop, we don't go into the terminal at the airport. We stop at these things called FBOs. And that's basically like where all private planes fly in and out of. And uh, we'll tell them like, hey, we need two, three bags of ice or whatever. So I'm getting everything ready and I'll just, you know, set the bag down on the ground while I'm getting stuff ready. So I had loaded up the cooler, the little slide out cooler with ice and put some over here. And I had, I guess, a bunch extra that was just kind of sitting on the floor while I did some other stuff. Well, everybody starts to load up on the plane and he walks back, says, hey, like he always does. And, um, you know, he looked, he was like, you know, we probably don't need this bag of ice. I think we got enough. Like, I think we'll be good. So if it's cool, like, let's just, you know, we'll give it to them and we'll just, you know, leave it out front. They can take it with the trash. I said, all right, sounds good. Well, when I picked it up, it had been sitting there for a while, so there was like a little bit of a, a pool of water on kind of like the little hardwood floor right there, right by the carpet. And I was like, shoot, let me go drop this off. I'll, I'll come back and clean it up. He said, no, you're good. So I come back, and Floyd, billionaire, again, greatest boxer alive, is on his hands and knees with paper towels, like wiping up this water. And I was like, no, champ, no, 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 I'll, I'll get this. And he's like, I pay you to fly the plane. Like I, I can clean this up. It's fine. Like y'all go on up there. Let me know if you need anything from me. That's so cool. Nicest guy. Yeah. Nicest guy. That's good to hear, man. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to your days when you were working in, uh, in intelligence. I want to find out more about that. If I'm assuming you can talk about it. Yeah. Some of the stuff. Yeah. 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 So in, anything I ask you, just, just let me, let me know if you can. So what specifically were you doing? So it, it varies a lot based on, on what type of intelligence you're doing. So being in intelligence is kind of like being like saying you work in finance. Like there's a myriad of different things you can do. So some of the guys do what like jokingly is called like secret squirrel stuff. So you may work with the NSA on something or you may work, you know, attached to somebody who does something with the FBI. What I did is called squadron level intel. So um, you have that like an Air Force base typically is like a wing and then it's broken down into squadrons. And so or groups and then squadrons. And so like the flying squadron is what I'm in now. The flying squadron is what I worked with in Montgomery. And so squadron level intel is basically I support those guys. So for the the intelligence with fighters, a lot of that will center around what type of mission the fighters are doing. So is it that DCA, that defensive counter air where they're just kind of loitering and, you know, looking out for a, for an asset, then I'll be briefing them on like, hey, if you guys are doing that and you're in this hostile area or something, here's the different fighters in the area that might approach you. And here's what they have and yada, yada. Here's what you should do if you encounter them. If they're going in to do a bombing on a target, then I might brief them on like, hey, guys, here's what your target looks like. Here's kind of the dimensions. Here's what we've seen there in the last couple of days or seen in the area. Oh, and by the way, like, we, let's say it's like a, Let's say if we were still in Afghanistan and they were going to go and, I don't know, blow up some terrorist house or something, it's probably going to be in a village or something like that. So we might be like, hey, supposedly somewhere in this province, uh, there might be like, you know, a, a 
piece of like machine gun or something they can shoot up at you. So be aware of that. So are you discovering all this by uh, like flying around a drone or how, how or do you have people on the ground that you work with? It's or? other sources that are getting it to us. So we, we take uh, different pieces of intelligence from different arenas that are available to us and we kind of piece it together to give them a picture. So I'm not the one actually collecting it. I am aggregating it from different sources. Okay. And sometimes you just might not have anything. So a, a lot of times, like here stateside, obviously there's not any threats. So what we'll do is we'll have a, what's called like a threat of the day brief, where in the morning when they do that, that morning brief, we'll say, all right, hey, today, um, you know, you guys are doing air to air stuff. So we'll tell you about this plane just to refresh your memory. So don't forget with this plane, it can do this and this. So your best bet, if you ever encounter one of these, is to do this. Yeah, yeah. So, so. like you said, we really don't have many threats here mm -hmm. on our soil. But with that being said, you know, if you watch the news, they would have you believe otherwise. So do you think, what would you think is actually the biggest threat to uh, to us here on our soil? Do you think it would be maybe like a like a power grid outage or do you think it would be like a cyber attack? Like what like if you had to guess, like what what would you think people would be most concerned about? Honestly, I think a lot of it is going that route. Um, and this is just, you know, my my personal views, not the views of the Air Force or anything. But uh, my personal thing is, I think I think we're seeing more than that. You hear uh, there's actually a really cool email newsletter that you can that you can subscribe to called overt operator and anybody can can subscribe to it. you get a daily email and it kind of tells you about they do uh like counter drug information counter terrorism counter intelligence little pieces every day and all the time it'll be like hey this group hacked this company hey this group is doing this hey this group uh we, we found out controls this media little outlet so they're spewing this disinformation and it's all over all the time. So I think what we're seeing now is is more of a push in that direction. So it, sure, if things went to like a global scale, then yeah, like maybe knocking out a power grid or something. But I think on like the more subversive side, it's just that little picking away here and there that that, that we're starting to see more and more of. If the power grid did go out, what would be your first move? Man, I would uh, I would take my guns. I'd get with my dad and take his guns, and uh, we would we would probably be heading for the woods, probably for, for for the it, mountains somewhere anywhere National other than park. a city, right? Yeah, national park is probably what I'd be doing. Actually, you know, you, you do these like, all right, if there was a zombie apocalypse, oh what yeah, would you do? all the time. Man, I I would have to think the smart move would be to go south and get to an island or something. Hundred percent, they I can't think that swim. Would be my thing. Yeah, zombies can't swim. Yeah, zombies, and they and you know what? Just walk faster than them. Yeah, you're good. It's not that hard unless we're in what was it? Uh, the Brad Pitt movie, the World War Z. Yes, that's those things the one. were super. Those were like Superman zombies. You're screwed. Yeah, then it's game over. But if it's just the Walking Dead style yeah. zombies, then just go faster than them. That's easy. Get through some water. Get on a boat. You're good to go. What was it? Uh, uh, the zombie movie with um, Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, and, and Woody Harrelson, where it was like, Oh, the kind of like comedy. Sean yeah. It was like rule number one was like cardio or yeah. whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like out running the zombies. Yeah. Yeah. That would be number one. Yeah. All of, all of the overweight people would be screwed. The body, the body positivity would go out the window. Oh, a hundred percent. From the work that you've done or from the people that you've been around who do similar type work, have you learned how to, um, like read people, you know what I'm talking about? How like uh, someone who you think of as being just, for example, a CIA agent, you think of them, at least movies portray them as being able to like, just read you like a book. Like, mm -hmm. Do you, do you know of anyone that can do that? Or can you do that? I, I can't do that. It's, it's funny. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, intelligence. Like you must've done some cool stuff. Really. A lot of it dealt with, with like, I, I, I nerd out. I really like to talk about, um, like, you know, planes and the different capabilities and how things are employed and whatnot. That stuff's fun. But in terms of like the actual secret squirrel, like James Bond stuff, I don't know any of that. Yeah, yeah. The only thing that I know how to read is whenever like with other pilots, you can kind of tell, especially like, it'll be like, oh, how'd today go? And they're like, oh, it went well. And you can kind of tell they're like, oh, they probably messed something up. They probably didn't do as well as they were hoping. What would be an example of how they messed something up? Man, there's a myriad of things, but uh, like w one thing, you know, we're always, uh, as you can imagine, a lot of us are like type A's or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we're usually we're usually joking with each other a lot. Um, 
So if somebody really, w w whenever we finish like on a typical flight here, we'll go and we'll do, you know, air refueling or practice air refueling with somebody. And then we'll go to an airfield and we'll do touch and goes. We'll just practice landing because it's got to be good at that. And it's funny because we'll, we'll always tease each other. So like even if you're just a little bit off center line or you really kind of like, you know, slam one into the ground, we'll tease each other endlessly about it. I actually, I flew with a buddy of mine recently and, and he told me, he's like, I haven't flown in a while and yada, yada. So we went and did a couple touch and goes and everything was fine. And then his, his final landing back in Birmingham, he, you know, came in and then he just flared too high and kind of hung out too high and never came down and just slammed it into the runway in the whole way as we're taxiing in. I was joking with our boom. I was like, man, Dimitri, did you, did you say, you know, a good chiropractor? Cause my back's pretty <laughs> messed up. And I'm like, man, do you think we left any of the landing gear back there? Like, do we need to call the airport? He's like, you shut up, guys. Like, yeah, call Keeley. I hate you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're just always teasing each other about stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because you're a pilot, do you get special privileges when you're flying just commercial, like Delta or anything? Unfortunately, I don't. So the guys the guys and gals who, who do fly for the airlines, they obviously get some, some pretty good perks. And then... Because of my work with uh, Floyd, we, we airline all the time. So eventually, like, we build up some status, which is nice. But with the Air Force, it doesn't, it doesn't get me anything. So I got married a couple of years ago, and my bachelor party was in Vegas. Okay. So stereotypical, right? First time ever. But um, I think the flight was at 6 a.m., so I get there really early, just roll out of bed. And I didn't plan on bringing a carry-on because it's such a quick flight. But last minute, I was like, oh, I want to bring X, Y, and Z. So I'll just grab my bag. Katie drops me off at the airport. And I'm going through, put everything on the conveyor, shoes off, and walk through. It's taking forever. What the heck? So I'm like trying to look at where my bag go, where, yeah. what's going on. And I, I make eye contact with the guy who's watching the x-ray. And his eyes get super big. And as soon as I saw that expression, I knew what had happened. I grabbed my backpack and it has like a concealed carry oh, no. compartment in there. And I had completely forgotten to take out my pistol. And it was a Glock 19X, fully loaded magazines, oh, God. three extra magazines, all fully loaded. And I went up to, I was like, I know what you found. I'm so sorry. Like, I absolutely did not mean to do that. Like thinking I'm going to go to jail. Right. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's okay, man. You know, it happens multiple times a day he's like we just need to do an fbi background check to make sure you're okay i'm so embarrassed so i follow him they're checking my id we go down to this little room under the airport sitting there they do the background check everything comes back clean and they're just being really cool about it yeah. you know they know that i'm not a terrorist and they yeah. know that i didn't mean to and um they're like all right you know everything checked out so they let katie come get the pistol and uh i was on my way about three weeks later i get a letter in the mail from TSA, mm -hmm. $5,000 fine. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, Brutal. no wonder they were so cool about it. They knew what was coming on the back end. Oh. So yeah, PSA, take your pistol out of your bag when you're flying. Should be obvious, but you know, I didn't do it. So it's funny that you say that like traveling all the time, you see some funny stuff. I was going through Birmingham airport security a couple weeks ago. And uh, the guy, there was a guy who was coming through before me, and he had his little carry-on bag. Goes through, and they they pull him aside. And they're like, "Sir, do you have any liquids in here?" And he was like, "No, I don't have any liquids." And they open his bag up, and they have like the clear sixteen ounce like to go, like that you would have like, get like a soup in or something. It is full to the top, and wrapped in saran wrap with queso. He had. <laughs> a 16 ounce to go container of queso in his, and I'm like that is dedication like in my humble opinion uh little donkey has phenomenal queso especially with the they do the, the burnt ends in it oh. out of this world never in my wildest dreams would I be like I'm going to put this queso in my carry on and try to get it through and 16 ounces of it at that that's a lot what was he going to do break it out on the plane and yeah. dip pretzels in yeah, it yeah he starts like yeah he starts like I'll get some chips in here but at the same time, you have to wonder, like I saw a funny meme about this and it makes you think where it was like, you know, I tried to take some peanut butter through and they're like, sorry, no liquids or gels allowed. And the guy's like, I want you to tell me 
which one of those two you think peanut butter falls into the category of like is that a liquid or a gel seriously they did that with i had some over have you ever had overnight oats yeah yeah big fan uh they confiscated a, a mason jar full of of overnight oats because he said it was close to a gel and I was like, look, bro, if my oats are a gel, then I've really screwed up the recipe. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm not but, doing this right at all. Yeah, I was like, man, that was my breakfast. I'm not eating it. Did he it. let you scarf it down? No. Oh just threw gosh. it right away. I've had to actually throw away two pocket knives there. I, I'm the worst about carrying the wrong things <laughs> into the, the airport. The crazy thing is they'll actually do, you know, um, I mean, as you can imagine, they'll actually periodically do things where they'll take like everyday civilians sometimes they'll come out on base and be like hey we need some volunteers to go through tsa and uh you don't tell them who you are they give you like your little boarding pass or whatever and they'll yeah and they'll they'll give you like a knife or something to see if they can find it on you or whatever and it's kind of interesting because some of the guys like they get caught and you're not supposed to like tell them or whatever and then once they finally get through the process then it's like okay cool yeah we sent this guy through so a couple a couple of my friends have gotten to do that they say it's really cool that would be fun yeah they're like testing out testing out tsa to see what they can find if you were going to try to sneak a knife through where would you keep oh, it man i would think don't they they have uh they have like the little belt buckle knives where it like slides oh, yeah, in. i've seen those i wonder if you could get one through that way i don't know i don't know i feel like i don't know i feel like they're super thorough every time i go through but like i i have the the clear and the tsa pre-check which mm. clear is amazing totally worth it it changes everything really if you have clear unless you just don't want to take your shoes off or like don't mind there's really no point in even getting tsa pre-check because that's just like you know keep your shoes and your belt on yeah with that they usually leave me alone but uh now they're starting to do like more randoms like three of my last four times i've flown out of birmingham they're like we're gonna randomly select you to like you've got to go through the full gambit and i'm like pat away do I tip you now? Yeah, or yeah. Afterwards, <laughs> do I leave the money over here? <laughs> and I want you guys to know that today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you find yourself struggling with anxiety, depression, or just feeling stuck in life? Well, BetterHelp is here to help. BetterHelp is the world's largest online therapy platform with licensed therapists available to you from the comfort of your own home. With BetterHelp, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your therapist, or you can simply message them anytime you need to. No more sitting in traffic, no more waiting rooms, and no more feeling uncomfortable. And here's the best part. BetterHelp is affordable. Financial aid is available to those who qualify. And our listeners get 10% off their first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Birmingham. Take the first step towards a happier, healthier life with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Birmingham today and get 10% off your first month. Thanks for listening to the Discover Birmingham podcast. Now back to the show. Another question I have for you, and this is just as, you know, a friend, not an intelligence yeah, yeah. person. I've had friends in my life before who I thought if there was going to be anyone who might be a, a covert agent, CIA or something, yeah. and not know, it would be that guy. Mm-hmm. Do you think that people know an undercover agent and just don't know it? Oh, for sure. So you think they're just like walking among us? I do. Well, they have to be. You, you think about it. I mean... Now, granted, they're probably not like, you know, hanging out with me at Lou's on Sunday afternoon, (laughs) getting a cocktail. They're probably off doing, you know, whatever, trying to infiltrate whatever. But like, you know, there'll be these Netflix docuseries or whatever. There's one that I saw and I I don't remember if it's on HBO or what, but it was a guy who I think he was an FBI informant and he uh, he infiltrated the KKK like in Florida and worked his way all the way up to where he was the number two guy. (laughs) But. Like those people still have to, for their cover, they have to go have regular jobs and maintain that cover. So you think like that guy was probably working in some, I don't know, bike shop or at some pawn shop or something like that. And they're like, yeah, this is just Steve, a normal guy. Yeah. The guy handing you your coffee at Starbucks could be an operator. Well, and and you've got to think like, especially in places where let's say like Washington, where there may be conscious effort to. I don't know, corrupt politicians and whatnot, there probably is like somebody where they're following them and they know like, Hey, this person gets their coffee here every day. So 
we need you to be the the barista or whatever because you're within earshot and you can like plant equipment yeah and did you hear about that happened uh maybe last year i don't remember the full story but they were basically trying to catch these two guys that were you know they were doing something something they weren't supposed to be doing yeah so they got like 18 fbi agents to just pose as other members of this organization or whatever and kind of like entrap them into doing the thing. So this big group got busted doing, maybe it was robbing a bank all, but, but two of them were actually FBI agents. So there was kind of like some ethical things there. Like, you know, would they have even done it if everyone around them wasn't Wasn't actually going through with it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would have to think that'd be kind of fun. Like you watch, like I'm sure it's glamorized by the movies and whatnot. Obviously, like for the guy who was doing the KKK thing, that's terrifying because they'll come after your wife and kids. But like the bank robbery thing, it's like, man, I get to like dress up and play robber, and I have no consequences for it because I'm doing my job. Like, if you were going to be like an undercover agent, what would what would be your cover? Man, I, like if I was going to go infiltrate an organization, yeah, 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 man. I would think being in Birmingham, I would want to be the undercover guy who goes and finds out who is doing all the donuts in the intersections. I would be <laughs> like, who is because it's so annoying in the I live right downtown and in the middle of the night, you'll just hear like I actually on I live right down the road from Zydeco uh, on a house over there and I was getting out of the car there. Zydeco was about to have a show, which. Apparently, Zydeco is about to be closed down. No way, man. Yeah, that's, there, there was that's a, a staple. Uh, there was a uh, raid. It was like 10 unmarked cruisers descended upon Zydeco uh, like a week ago, something like that, and busted them. And I think it was for uh, I think it was for underage drinking. No kidding. Um, so supposedly, Zydeco is going to close down. I know. But it was some show, and I guess this guy was going to park. It was like a like an orange and black Dodge Charger all souped up. And I hear him coming down the hill as I'm getting, like, I'm my Uber's in the middle of the road. I'm getting my bag. Hear him rev up his engine, and he, like, screams down the street and then stops just shy of me and then goes around me between the cars that are parked there and, like, almost hits me and those cars and then peels off. I'm just like, dude, what is up with the drivers and in Birmingham? And it's so now? loud at night, too. Katie and I lived off 2nd Avenue North over in okay, the Phoenix yeah. building, kind of uh, across from TJ Tower. Yeah. And despite that being across the street from the police headquarters, I mean, these guys are getting out there doing donuts, the motorcycles, the loudest motorcycles you'll ever hear. And I like loud pipes, but these were waking us up at night. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, ab- I'm sounding like an old person, but it was absolutely obnoxious, man. I mean, so yeah, I would like for them to get taken down. Well, did you see, uh, have you seen they put the things up where it's kind of like speed bumps in the intersections? Yes. I guess that's supposed to stop it, but I guess they can't do that at every intersection because I'll still hear it sometimes and I'm like, what? Why? Yeah. It used to pop off in front of our loft because it was right across the street from Plum Bar. You know where yeah. Plum Bar? Yeah, yeah, Especially on Sunday nights, man. They get out there and just go at it church is out let's go yeah but they look like they have so much fun they set up lawn chairs all out in the streets and have outdoor concerts and everything in the police headquarters parking lots they they do it right there's an instagram account that i follow and a lot of times they'll have videos of those and like it's so funny because you'll have all these people crowded around and then like a random person decides to walk out and just get swiped out i see those all the time Speaking of street racing, in high school, they used to have this event in downtown Birmingham called, they called it Nationals, and it was absolutely not national. It was very local, but we would drive all the way from Montevallo, and we had little, uh, you know, they call them rice rockets, yeah. like Honda Preludes and yeah. Eclipses and all that. Paul Walker Light. Paul, yeah. Oh, and that's when Fast and the Furious was very popular. And it would be at different spots around downtown. It would just be people, they would get up, and it would be a long, straight road, and they would just line up and do little mini drag races. Mm -hmm. Inevitably, at some point in the night, one police car would come, lights on, sirens blasting, and people would just scatter. Scatter like that. Yeah, oh, man. Like cockroaches when the light comes on. Yeah, I don't know if people do that anymore, at least in Birmingham. It's funny because you see it, like, you'll you'll see in in the movies or whatever, I guess in the older movies, I, I haven't seen any of them really past like the Brazil one, but you have these meetups. It's like hundreds of people in cars and they're just racing up and down these busy streets. I'm like, I've never in my life, like, is this actually a thing that happens? Yeah. Like, I want to go to one. I know. I would love to go to one of those. 
I think that'd be super fun. Now, obviously, I'd be one of the people scattering, but I don't know what I can... I don't think you can get in trouble for just watching street racing. No, I don't think so either. But I guess the more civilized version is going out to an event at Barber. You ever go out there? Yeah. So I haven't gotten to go in a while, but but usually like a handful of, of buddies of mine back in high school and college, we'd go out there and watch the races. Didn't they just have like a Formula One race out there? No, it wasn't. It was it was Indy. It was it, the Indy car races. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really fun, and they have awesome motorcycle races out there. The museum actually is really is really nice out there. That's the most amazing collection of classic bikes you'll ever see. Have you ever done an event out there like they'll they, like you can host large events out there at the museum? Have you ever done those? I've been to one. So, our unit here in Birmingham had their hundredth anniversary. Mm. So we did a big event out there at Barber and um, basically like the, the military's version of like a tuxedo that you see with like the medals and whatnot. Yeah. That's called your mess dress. And uh, everybody wears their mess dress and, and goes out there and it like walking around and seeing all that stuff out there is and realizing that it's a personal collection is wild. That's probably I think that's like the coolest venue to have a big event in Birmingham. Yeah, I think Nothing so too. It. Especially if you're like a car guy. We went to the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride. It's like a motorcycle ride for charity or whatever. But as part of it, you get to ride your motorcycle on the course. So we got to take a That's couple of laps awesome. out there. That course is so much fun to drive on. And what you don't realize from watching is how steep some of those embankments are. Oh, man. You really got to lean into it. Yeah, you really do have to lean into it. Have you done the Porsche driving experience or anything? Mm -mm. That's on my bucket list. I haven't done it either. Uh, that's out in Atlanta, right? Or do they have one here too? I think they have one here. Okay. Because I know they have the one in Atlanta. A kid that I grew up with uh, from my neighborhood, he actually, he was like, I think he was an engineer at Auburn. And then he went out to go work for Porsche. And he, he did something with Porsche for a while. And then he was one of the guys out there at the driving experience. So that's like, another dream job. What a dream. Yeah. To just be out there every day driving awesome cars. Well, speaking of venues, do you have any other favorite spots around Birmingham you like to go to just frequent? Because like I said, we met at Adios. Yeah. So love Adios. Do you know Chewy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Probably like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He's the best, man. He really, really awesome. good dude. We played pickleball the other day. Not a great pickleball player, but one of the nicest guys you'll <laughs> ever meet. I still haven't. I'm still holding out. Like, it's kind of like people, they're like, I'm not going to watch Game of Thrones because everyone's watching <laughs> yeah. Game of Thrones. I'm kind of like that with pickleball. I'm sure eventually I'll like fall into that. But uh, a couple of my of my good friends are always going to go play pickleball, and I'm like, I'm going to hold off for right now. Yeah, it was it was my first time too, but it, it's fun, man. If you've ever played any other racket sport like tennis or even table tennis, it, mm -hmm. it kind of translates. It's I would say because it's a wiffle ball, it's one of the easier racket sports to pick up. It's fun though. Not shockingly enough, my parents are big into it. Okay, I know it's typically like you. I guess it started with like older people playing it, and now. Like people are actually like, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of fun. But man, I tell you, I uh, I am at Lou's, Lou's Pub all the time. I freaking love Lou's. It's amazing. And I take my dog with me. It's kind of cool because a handful of different people will take their dog. So it's kind of like a quasi dog meetup. What but, kind of dog do you have? Uh, Golden Retriever. Uh, yeah. What a classic dog. Man. Oh, yeah. We grew up with those. That's just like when I think dog, I think Golden Retriever. He is super, super gentle. Like it's kind of funny because he's 95 pounds. He's a big and he's uh, he's. He's half American golden, half Canadian golden, and the What's Canadian the goldens are really tall. Mm. So he's actually like a very tall dog. And he's 95 pounds, so he's he's really big, but like he's so gentle and sweet that even if like a little chihuahua or something barks at him, he will recoil. Like he doesn't bark back or anything. Like he's he's a gentle giant. That's what you want in a big dog. That's kind of how our dog Henry is. You saw him outside. I'll, yeah. have, to, I'll have to introduce you before you leave. He's, yeah. he's a, a very big, derpy dog, and he... Well, everyone with a big dog says he thinks he's a lap dog, but this one really does. I mean, oh, he'll yeah. try to crawl into your soul. He's yeah. <laughs> such a good pup. Well, so when, I, when I'm when i gone for work, like I can't just leave him at my house. So my sister, actually, she lives up in Hayden on like five, six acres. And then um, she, she homeschools her two young daughters. So it's actually really cool because she will watch him. And like her daughters want a dog. They don't really want to get a dog. So this kind of like, you know, meets that. And then she uses it to teach them responsibility. So she'll be like, all right, you know, Anna, this week you're in charge of making sure that Robin goes outside to go to the bathroom. June, you're in charge of making sure that he's fed, that he takes his medicine and that he has water. But she'll send me these videos. And it's so funny talking about like the gentle giant because like my niece sitting Indian style and, and my dog will have 
his head in her lap and she's got like his lips pulled back and she's like counting his teeth and he's just sitting there <laughs> like not doing anything. Yeah. And then she'll like give him a kiss right on his nose. And occasionally in the video, you'll, you'll hear my sister reminding her. She's like, now remember, you can only do this with Robin. Don't ever do this with any other dog. Yeah. <laughs> that was one thing that I did from the start with Henry is because he's a Rottweiler, because he's so big, you know that people are naturally going to be kind of afraid of him. And they're a very powerful breed, so they can be brutal if mm-hmm. they're not taught from an early age. So I always play with his mouth. I would put my hand in his mouth and just touch his teeth and just pull his lips back and just kind of prepare him for what a child might do who didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. He's about as close to bulletproof as you can get. Yeah. What's that organization where you can take your dog up to the children's hospital? Yeah. You ever thought about that? Yeah. Oh, yes. I think that'd be a ton of fun. And then uh, there's that. And then um, a friend of mine was saying that I think it's like schools. I think there's like a, a school program where they'll have like special needs kids and you can take, you can, you have to like register your dog, but you can take your dog in and it's apparently like very therapeutic for some of these kids that sometimes are maybe overstimulated or get very stressed easily. And so like playing with the dogs is supposed to be very therapeutic, which I think would be really cool. It would be fun. What about any good dog parks around that you go to? So I take him, uh, gosh, what's, I want to say it's Caldwell Park. That's right past, um, Freddy's right there on the left. It's like the first of the three Highland Parks. So you oh pass. yeah. 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 So I go there. Um, I'm not a big jogger, but I do like to run stairs. So I will take him. And another good thing about Robin is that ever since he, like, he was basically like a COVID puppy. Mm. So I got him in November, right before COVID hit. And then I was still full time with the air force. So when COVID hit, they were like, unless you're flying your one time a month, don't come in. So for a solid six months, as he was, you know, kind of maturing as a dog, we just took him to the park all the time. Well, we would walk there. I'd have a little road soda in hand. <laughs> we would walk there and I would just, you know, make him stay right by me. So now I, I basically never have him on a leash and he'll, you know, he'll come right back to me if I tell him to or whatnot. So we'll go to the park and I'll just kind of let him play. I've got the chuck it, so I'll throw the ball. He'll run off and go get it. And then I'll, you know, run my stairs. He that's like his favorite park. He knows when we're going there. Like he knows as soon as I pull up, he's looking out the side window. Like he knows that's my park. That's like my spot. He's living his best life, man. That's oh like, yeah. That's how Henry is to uh, Red Mountain Park. You ever yeah. There? There's a good dog park there. That place is awesome. I, I was reading about. It, it's named after somebody. Some some like things like a wealthy businessman here in Birmingham. And he had a passion for dogs, and he paid for that whole thing. Like hmm. he paid for them to do all of that. And I guess they had, a, like, I don't think they had kids or something. And I think they had a dog or two or something yeah, like yeah. that. That there, was his thing. There's another really good one that I like in Alabaster. It's a bit of a hike, but it's all turf. So your dog's not going to get filthy when he's yeah. out there. And it actually has a dog water park. It's, really? Yeah, this whole place is sponsored by Purina. It's called Veterans Park in Alabaster. Okay. And it's got, you know, obviously the large dog area and the small dog area water obstacles the dog can run through and and henry's a big swimmer so that's probably his favorite one to go to my brother and his wife and their kids live out and they're across from a park that kind of like sits off the road i don't know exactly that might be it there are there are baseball fields out there that's probably it and this whole time i never knew you learn a new thing every day i just learned yeah robin's got a new dog park i know well because they're always you know saying hey you know come out and hang out so that's perfect like we can go out there grab some dinner let the dog play let him get worn out do you yeah. ever take your dog to uh, the lake or anything like that? The lake here in River Chase? Yeah. Not this one so much because I know that they put uh, a lot of black dye in the water. And Henry, every time he swims, he drinks a lot of water along with it, which uh. is why I can't let him swim in the ocean anymore. But um, <laughs> <laughs> You learned that the hard way? Disaster. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're actually going next week, and Katie uh, booked everything. But she got an Airbnb specifically because it has a private pool we couldn't take him without letting him swim. So, but uh, yeah, Henry, I don't let him go to many lakes because he's, he tends to get lost in the sauce and he'll just swim out to the middle and not realize that he's so far away and get tired. So he's more of a river swimmer. And this is right here by the Cahaba. So he swims out there a good bit. You know, they have uh, the, the dog life jackets, like the full size dog life jackets. And it's basically it, it is in the torso and then you like connect it at the top. So the dog can be out there just kind of like, chilling for as long and then there's the handle on the back so you can kind of like help him get up and get out and whatnot nice. but i mean robin's 95 pounds and it fits him perfect we've had to get 
Henry some dog boots. You ever seen those? Yes. Oh my gosh. And when he, the first time we put them on, I had to take a video because it's one of the funniest things you've ever seen the way that he walks. Mm-hmm. But, he um, flails his legs. Yeah, out. he's flail. He's like high stepping like a walking horse. But he, whenever we take him hiking on uh, like a rocky terrain, he'll always break his claws. So yeah. we had to get him some boots. What about, um, I've seen on your Instagram stories, you're always posting very, um, very fancy food. What are some of your favorite restaurants around town? Man, last night we were at Batola. I love Batola. We were talking about that earlier. They have a they have a special right now that's a uh, shrimp bucatini that is phenomenal. It is so good. Um, they said it was spicy. It really wasn't spicy, but I like really spicy stuff. You bit okay. I was like, like how say, spicy are we talking? So if you're I gonna... didn't even notice the spice, I, I would give it like a maybe a one on a one to ten. So maybe. when you say when you get wings, are you going like Atomic Diablo? Like See, how spicy? Are I'm we not talking? doing that, but like if I go to Surin, like I think Surin and Blue Pacific are probably like the two best Thai places in town. Um, I'll go. I won't go full Thai hot, but I'll go hot. Like Thai so hot's mild, another bro. level. See, I. I kind of, the funny thing is, is that I, I guess apparently your taste buds change and your, your allergies change as well. Cause I used to not like anything spicy and like my girlfriend loves jalapenos and luckily I've like recently gotten into jalapenos, but she, I mean, she's on another level, but, uh, yeah, I've, I, I'm glad because now I feel like I can kind of like expand into some of these other things like spicy wings or, or like, you know, real hot wings or spicy Thai food or whatever. Cause Thai is like, Thai food is like my love language. Yeah. But yeah, that on on the road, it's I, I get teased all the time by my coworkers because they're like, "All right, Sam, like we know you've already scouted out a restaurant for tonight. Where are we gonna go?" You're a foodie. Oh yeah, for sure. Excellent. Which is why I have to go run to the park because otherwise I'd weigh a thousand pounds. Yes. You, are you a fan of East West? Oh yeah, East West is amazing. There, I think so. I think East West wings are the best in Birmingham. They're great. We they're had some the other night. Phenomenal. They're so good. Which the only thing that sucks is that on Wednesday you try to go like, you know, wing Wednesday is when everybody goes and it's slammed. Yeah. I tried to go with a buddy of mine uh, who's a boom operator for the Air Force, him and his wife. I turned them onto it and now they go almost every Wednesday. So we were going to go, but they couldn't they couldn't uh, make any room for us. They didn't they were all, you know, booked up. So we went to, you know, unfortunately, uh, we had to go to La Fresca, which like it's so funny because it's like, oh, yeah, we couldn't go to East West. So we had to go to like. Lafresca is amazing. Yeah, it's still great. Everything on Second Avenue is fantastic. Like El Barrio, love it. They have a dish. Uh, their Saturday brunch. They have a dish called the Sopa Seca. It'll change your life. I think I've had that. Really it good. Is so, so good. Sushi. I, I for a while I was like religiously doing uh, Surin for Sushi Sunday. I would do Luna Latin Cuisine for brunch, and then I would rotate. So they would stop serving. Uh, they basically close down at three. Well, Lou's over across from Moe's Barbecue in Lakeview opened up at three. So then we would all rotate and go to Lou's. And then usually around like 5.30 or so, I'd go take Robin home and make my way over to Surin and do Sushi and Saki Sunday. And I was like the little rotation for a while. What about, do you like Jensei in Homewood? Yeah. They had really good sushi oh, too. Oh, why am I saying Surin? I meant Jensei. Okay. It, it is Sushi and Saki Sunday, and I always go with the other S and say Surin. I meant Jensei. Yeah. Speaking of uh, of Lakeview, what is that place? I think it's next to Lou's. It's like a cereal place or something? Yeah. What is so that? So that, apparently that is a, that's a vape shop, and I guess whoever owns that building, something about like no per the lease, we're only going to let you stay here. Like you have to serve food. So I guess the owner was like, okay, yeah, I'll serve food. And he serves cereal to like get around the rule, <laughs> which great. is like the best thing <laughs> yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So that was like, I guess their little rule. So the guy's like, yeah, I'll serve cereal, which I hope that's true because like petty stuff like that. I love. Yeah. When they just kind of like skirt around it though. Yeah. Yes. I'm of that as well. Absolutely. But, uh, man, it, it that's the best thing about Birmingham is that, and it's kind of fun. So with the Air Force, um, when I went through pilot training, you know, you obviously make make a bunch of friends and whatnot. And uh, for the the Air Force officer program, you start off as a lieutenant, and then you go to a captain. And to go, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, to to go from captain to major, you have to go to active duty. They make you go to what's called SOS Squadron Officer School, and it's in Montgomery. I think it's like a six week program. So even like, let's say you're stationed in Germany, if you're a captain, like you have to come back to Montgomery and go to this six weeks. And the the, the, the joke is that it's like re-blue because they're like, 
yeah, like the Air Force is awesome and here's yeah, these yeah. leadership classes and everything else. <laughs> but the cool thing is that these guys from all over that I haven't seen since pilot training, they'll hit me up. And it's kind of funny because now I know like if my phone rings and it's a dude that I haven't talked to in a while, I'm like, I bet you he's at SOS. Yep. And so it's like, hey, you know, we're coming up to Berean this weekend. I'm down at SOS. So usually I'll have these buddies that cycle through. And typically it's on the weekend and, uh, and I'll get to show them like some of these restaurants and whatnot. And they know from social media, like Sam loves food. So we're going to go get some good food. And so, uh, that's probably like one of the most fun things is getting to show guys like different good restaurants and, you know, Bottega is open again now. So we can go to Bottega praying that Highlands opens up again soon. Cause I can just walk down to Highlands and go enjoy that. We do have really good food options here in Birmingham. I, I think it's like. 10, 12 years in a row, we've been like a top 25 food city in the U.S. running. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, and I, I kind of like being a, a well-kept secret. You know, we, the the traffic's great. Yeah. I don't want to turn Unless you into you're Atlanta. Yeah, seriously. But uh, that's the the one drawback of Atlanta. You know, everyone that's lived there is like, oh, yeah, Atlanta's awesome. But the traffic, everyone the mentions that. Terrible. But here, we're, I think we're a really good size where that's not a big issue, but we still have some nice amenities. And it's getting better. So I think Birmingham is a uh, – I'm bullish on Birmingham. I know. I am too. Well, and a lot of people, you know, comment about Nashville. Nashville's blown up, but they just – they don't have the infrastructure really to handle that blow up. So it's just gotten so bogged down. Like you can barely even commute in Nashville. Everything's kind of – crazy right now but and um, the property values i mean in uh, birmingham you get a lot of bang for your buck yeah. compared to a nashville or an atlanta oh yeah it's it's pretty wild it, i do think it's funny though because you see some of these condos that are popping up and uh you know like they'll there'll be these condos for sale and you'll look at it and you're like how is a 650 square foot apartment gonna go for 350 and then yeah. sure enough somebody buys it it's like, true that's gonna be a great shoebox for you yeah the south is one is the only region in the country where the real estate market is still picking up you know uh, uh the northeast and the midwest and the west it's all you know a pretty steep downturn but i think it's because everyone's moving to the south because they yeah. see that you do get so much more for your money and it's more chill here and it's i think it's a, a good place to be well that's that's my thing is that you know i i always think i'm like yeah maybe one day i'll move and uh, some people that are from Birmingham are kind of like, yeah, I'm just trying, you know, trying to get out of Birmingham. But I'm like, we have amazing food. We have some really, really good public schools if you want to go the public school route. We have some really good private schools if you want to go that route. So if you want to raise kids, there's plenty to do. You have Rotary Trail with all the breweries down there. You've got the Barrens. You've got Top Golf, Oak Mountain State Park. You're close to lakes and beaches. I mean, amazing food. It's cheap to live here. It really kind of checks every box. It really does. So I, I kind of chuckle when people complain. They're like, yeah, I want to get out of Birmingham. I'm like, where are you going to go? It's, yeah. It would, be, it would feel that way wherever they were. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, you're not going to be content. And then I think it's one of those things where like you, you may move and sure, there's some other city that may check the boxes that you have. And some people just need a bigger city. I get that. But I'm like, even if I did move from here, I would still want to keep like my house so that I can come back and have a place. Because I don't think there will ever be a time where I'm like, I'm good. I don't want to go visit Birmingham. Even if all my family moved away, I'd still be like, ah, I want to keep a place. Yeah, there there are good people here. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Well, bro, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I know we both have to get out of here, yeah. but uh, I appreciate it. it was an interesting conversation, yeah, man, and we'll have to do it, we'll have to do again soon, my man. Heck yeah, thanks, thanks man. Thank you, buddy.